I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. Whoa, whoa. Here we go. Burnley's won 10 in a row. Wigan do the Sean Maloney and they've turned around and that's what it's all about. West Brom subjected to psychological horror by Hannibal. And how about one last job, Sharon? Warnock, Huddersfield. Yep, seriously. In the big one, in League One, Wednesday, Sheffield into a two-goal lead, but Ipswich won two free kicks and scored them both. Argyle win at home, as always, showing customary as as. The posh could only kiss the ring of King Charles and Kill Phil helps the flaming shrews to six straight. In League Two, Blumenek, Cole, you have won again. Bradford cook up an upset at Stevenage and none of the top five winning allows Stags and Stockport to put the squeeze on. All to come in this week's Not The Top 20 podcast sponsored by Betfair. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm OK. I'm actually excited because... Uh, Matt, who joined our team uh, last week and has done one week's worth of excellent Twittering on Not The Top 20 pod Twitter feed, uh, he launched a new sort of Sunday strand, which is something to keep us going on the weekend and on on Monday mornings, which is called Not The Top Content. It's basically, we were talking about how much amazing stuff EFL clubs do outside of just the standard club media stuff and two-minute highlights packages, but like all the behind-the-scenes filmings, the really arty and nice-looking alternative angles stuff. There are loads of people like me who just love seeing as much of the best football content as possible, whatever the club may be. And there's no real place that kind of puts it all together. So we want to be the ones to be the sort of epicentre of all the best EFL club content. So we're looking for people to to tag us in, in the best stuff that they see, to DM us, to send us the tweets, uh, and we'll try and collate some of the best bits. So uh, from that yesterday, we got things like this wonderful Sean Maloney chant, and credit Wigan's TikTok account for this one. <laughs> There you go. And we got that lovely Burnley chant as well. What a happy camp they are right now. So that's not the top content. Week one's been a great success, but I think we can go from strength to strength from here. So make sure you get involved because we need this to be a, a collaborative thing. Uh, and thank you to Matt for an excellent first week on the socials. Let's start with a big result that's been followed by big news. Wigan won, Huddersfield nil. Jack Watmore, backstick, set-piece winner in a miserable game of very few chances. A big, big goal. A good first week for Sean Maloney. A positive start as Wigan manager with four points from two games uh, last week. No goals conceded, but Huddersfield sacked Mark Fotheringham midweek last week and Neil Warnock rides again. 19 years and seven months after being appointed Huddersfield town manager for the first time. One last job for the legendary manager. Talk me through it. Your thoughts? Yeah, not not massively surprised um, that Fotheringham's reign is over. I can see why Huddersfield as a club 
probably felt in a position to um, hire somebody without much managerial experience. It's, it's something I don't necessarily um, argue against anyway, but after the success of Carlos Corberan, they've tried to go out and make another in- innovative appointment of someone who has been um, a successful or you know a, a number two at some bigger clubs. Immediately, his, um, at least his media persona suggested that he was something a bit different to what we used to. I've said fairly conclusively over the course of his reign that I didn't see a great deal there um, to, to marry up with his words. You know, he talked about setting high standards. He clearly bombed out quite a lot of, of first team players from the from the first team picture, which is an issue that Warnock's going to have to deal with now. You know, I'm pretty sure Neil Warnock would have quite liked to have Sorpa Thomas um, in his squad. I think he probably would have quite liked to have John Russell in his squad. Um, players like this who have been cast aside by Fotheringham um, and now he is no longer there either. Um, and I, you know, clearly the, the idea was they thought they were getting in someone with a very high ceiling who could feasibly keep them up this season and then be the manager to take them on longer term. And now they've decided to take an option which is very much seen to be a short-term fix. I, I, you know, you already see a lot of the rhetoric coming out of this appointment being well, that's Huddersfield safe then. You know, they, he guarantees safety. And that isn't true. I mean, it's one of those weird things where you've, you've now got Mick McCarthy managing Blackpool, who guarantees safety. You've got Neil Warnock managing Huddersfield, who guarantees safety. Like, what happens if they all get, you know, what if Big Sam comes in next week, at, you know, guarantees safety? Is no one going to go down? It's mythical. Now, having said that, Warnock probably gives them a much better shout of staying up than, than most appointments they could have made. I'm not denying that for one second. But I do think maybe, you know, the, the fallacy that surrounds um, these uh, you know, firefighter managers has gone a little bit too far now where we get to February or March and suddenly whoever's down there picks up the phone and gives them a call. I personally think at least one of Mick McCarthy or, or Neil Warnock will probably end up getting relegated this season. Both of them might well do. Now, Warnock obviously has an affinity with the Huddersfield fans. It's been, a well, some Huddersfield fans, plenty of them weren't alive when he was manager there the first time. Um, but he had a couple of decent seasons there, uh, got them promoted, um, had the first season at the new stadium, got them promoted at Wembley, uh, kind of walked out on the club a couple of days after the Wembley final against Bristol Rovers. Um, can can pretty conclusively be credited with um, with Andy Booth's uh, rise to stardom. You know, he was a struggling youth player when when Warnock came in, Warnock brought him into the first team fold and and obviously the rest there is history. Um, So yeah, he's got the affinity to the club. He is someone who I'm sure will will be seen to to possibly galvanise them. But um, yeah, again, I'm not entirely sure. I I think if you're going to make this appointment, you know, Borough did it a couple of seasons ago to some decent effect. My concern is that I'm not sure this Huddersfield squad, as it stands at the moment, has the, the necessary quality to, to to get out of this mess. And I think lumping a lot of that um, responsibility on, on Warnock's firefighting ability, it, it may scan well and it may be something that the most football fans think will work, but I'm not necessarily sure that it is there. The other interesting <laughs> aside to this is that if if Blackpool and Huddersfield do stay up, it'll likely be at the expense of Cardiff. 
and Mick McCarthy and Neil Warnock both playing a massive part in Cardiff's relegation is um, yeah would be quite something. Plenty of narratives at play, as there tend to be uh, in the championship. Just going back to Fotheringham, he got, he got 21 points from his 20 games. And no one will pretend that that is an incredible, incredible points return. But I'd wager that's probably more points than your average championship fan would have guessed he got. More than one point per game, just about. More than five other teams in the same time period. So while Fotheringham was Huddersfield manager, they weren't the worst team in the league or the second or the third worst team in the league. They were better than relegation level. They were certainly better than the seven points in nine before he arrived. Clearly not good enough to get out of the relegation battle or clearly to truly convince the fans or or those who make the decisions at the club that things could or would get better. But I thought it was worth pointing that out. I'll miss his his post-match interviews for sure. Uh, It was interesting, as you said, uh, to to see someone with no prior managerial experience other than um, a a caretaker role out at Hertha taking such a I was going to say front-footed stance in the media but I'm going to say two-footed stance in the media like sending messages in the manner that he did to his players I quite liked it just as a slightly different approach I think if there's just one homogenous way for managers to motivate or to man manage or to use the media then the game is worse off as a result so I welcome a different style clearly people scoffed at it clearly it's not had a hugely big impact on members of his team as you say some of whom got shoved out but I'd say there are some young players in the Huddersfield team who've got a lot more game time in the last few months and are probably much better off for it I do think there are certain players that have kicked on under Fotheringham I think the hysteria that this relegation battle has induced in a number of clubs down at the bottom has has just contributed to this and made it feel within Huddersfield and from within the fan base that no one really believed in him. Things are just in really worrying shape off the field for Huddersfield. What's unclear is how much longer the club can be sustained without investment and then also how realistic is investment, how realistic is good investment these are all massive questions at the moment phil hodgkinson uh, took over from dean hoyle then phil hodgkinson have to ste- had to step down after his businesses went into administration the former owner dean hoyle basically huddersfield's guardian angel stepped back in to look after things but he's looking to move the club on he's been very open that he cannot and will not f- continue to fund losses and that's what an owner of a championship football club has to do so you'd have to think that relegation would be so damaging in terms of the club's revenue um, you know, it's about a six or seven million pound difference in TV revenue alone when you're relegated to League One. That's not including smaller crowds and that sort of thing. So you can see why the panic has set in. But I'd be honest, George, I've completely lost grasp of whether Warnock is a good manager for the 2023 version of the championship. It's impossible to separate Warnock, the legend, the media a darling from the football manager at this point. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. I think at the very least, the fan base will get fully behind him. And that's probably worth, probably is worth some points. Yeah, I think that's probably the tangible um, benefit. Well, I mean, we don't want to disrespect Warnock. I mean, if, if you look back at his recent jobs in recent seasons, obviously he did an incredible job at Cardiff, um, but came into Rotherham over a very short period of time, basically doing the exact job that Huddersfield want him to do and did it well. They won six of his 16 games, only losing four. And then uh, Borough kept them up initially, got the job on a, on a longer term basis and things didn't really go to plan. You know, he. I guess I'm tying myself up in knots a little bit because 
just in my mind, this isn't really the way that I would want my club to, to operate. But for Huddersfield, who, you know, have had, who lost their manager on the eve of the season, have had two really poor appointments, like polar opposite, except for the fact they're inexperienced. Very, very different appointments in Schofield internal and then Fotheringham from left field. I think for them to go out and get someone who has a relationship with the club and who has a track record at doing exactly this job, um, this is maybe circumstantially one of the one of the times where you say fair enough, um, but there's no denying that so many good decisions took Huddersfield from the bottom end of the championship to Wembley last May. So many bad decisions have been made basically since that day at Wembley. You know, if if you'd have told us one of these, if you'd have told us sitting and when you and I were sitting in the sunshine at Wembley, not that many months ago we'd be sitting here in mid-Feb and not only would Corbrown have left but this will be the third manager to have taken over since Corbrown and it would be Neil Warnock and they'd be in the relegation zone in the championship I mean that wouldn't have seemed possible Well the, the big winners of the weekend I think in the whole championship were Wigan who beat Huddersfield 1-0 it was a a game very low on chances very low on attacking quality but it was highly tense and highly important and Jack Watmore's headed goal that gave Wigan all three points makes a massive difference for them uh, going forward. It means that, that in the two games so far for Sean Maloney, they've got a point at Blackburn drawing nil-nil in midweek uh, and then beaten a relegation rival. It is a very strong start. The performances have been more solid than they were under Colo Torre. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I can think of one big Britain Diaz chance at the very start of that Blackburn game. And outside of that, not a huge amount uh, given away by this Wigan defence in the last 180 minutes, and that's really positive. Now, I will not sit here and pretend that they've looked completely full of ideas and free-flowing in attack either, so um, that's something that we'll need to improve. But certainly a good start for Maloney, a long, long way to go, though. Uh, George, on Friday night, big game between Birmingham City and West Bromwich Albion, won by Birmingham. Looking back to the team that we enjoyed watching a couple of months ago before the World Cup break, uh, there were some protests before the game, the Birmingham City fans in particular, making their message known, making it very, very clear. Sell our club was a very, very public and well put across message. Uh, and the club did the business for them on the pitch, leading it to be a, a very successful night all round, I think it's fair to say. Yes, I mean, it, it is interesting what's going on off the, off and on the pitch at Birmingham City. And it's impossible, it's, sorry, it's important to stress that, as we have many times for those watching on, you know, Birmingham playing well and, you know, decent signings doing well isn't going to change the way that Birmingham City fans feel about their owners. You know, this is this runs a lot deeper. It's about transparency. It's not about spending money. Um, but, I mean, there are... It's one of the few occasions where, as a neutral, you totally sympathise with the cause of Birmingham City fans. And a year or so ago, it felt like the whole club was so disjointed to now you sit here and you're like, yeah, fair enough. Like the, the owners need to behave better. The fans deserve better. But also thinking, I actually quite like quite a lot of what they're doing at the moment. Now we've spoken a lot about Eustace and, and how good appointment that has been. They are coming off the bat now of a very, very poor run, um, which may have brought them back to earth with a bit of a bump. But you've got Hannibal here, the the star of the win over, over Baggies with you know the, 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 the corner, the assist for, for Bielik's goal. But the first goal is one of the better free kicks you're going to see um, in any kind of football this season. Like, give me uh, 
an inventive, ingenious, you know, it was it was like Joe Bryan's um, against Brentford in the Championship playoff final where David Button is quite clearly expecting a cross and um, Hannibal just sends it into the near corner and Button can't get across fast enough. I mean, Button is a massive weak link when he plays for Baggies. There's no denying that. I think he was at fault for the second goal as well, um, coming out, flapping it at a corner, which Bielik was then there to, to head in. But, you know, the... the Tahit Chong arriving on a permanent after his successful loan spell is great business. Hannibal coming in is great business. Bierlich, a player who, you know, has has a bit of a weird profile now after two very serious injuries. And I guess was a bit of a risk to Birmingham to take on, even though we, we know he has the quality. He's been brilliant since he came in. You could see how much the goal meant to him in the Not The Top Content stream. We saw the video showing Bierlich pretty much in tears um, after he scored the goal, showing how, what he's been through. And the reaction of the, of the players around him showing a very unified side. Um, they've made a new head of recruitment um, earlier. It was actually last week. And, and a new chief scout, Frank McParlin, coming in as, as head of recruitment. Joe Carnell as chief scout. Craig Gardner, as technical director, seems to be given the tools to do a fairly good job in terms of, of what he's doing. But um, yeah, it, it was a great day for them. A magnificent goal. Uh, and a very necessary one as well after a, a, bit, a bit of a dip in form. Yeah, they definitely looked back to their best in terms of team shape, uh, in terms of Eustace's game plans, which is the thing that I was giving big guns on a couple of months ago, comparing him to Scaloni of Argentina. They were so aggressive and energetic out of possession and, and really kind of smothered West Brom, which is uh, you know not that many teams have been able to do in the last few months. The, the midfield four of, of Bielik at the base, Hannibal at the tip, Bakuna and Chong, the sort of outside shuttlers, really makes me very happy, both on paper and on the pitch when it works. Uh, I'll let Ryan from NTT20 squad have the last words. Uh, he lives and breathes every single Birmingham City game and provides incredible coverage of them. Uh, just finished his message and report saying, the question is consistency now. Can they do this regularly? Can they push through when they're tired? Can they stand up when things aren't going their way? That's the challenge now. We hope that they will do that. Uh, another team who had a fantastic weekend, George, extending uh, a pretty good start to the year all round is Bristol City whose fans have had a real 180 and are now in, in fine voice, fine spirit. 1-0 winners against Norwich. A former yellow Sykes with the goal, George, but Gunn had his fingerprints all over it. Yeah, it wasn't um, the best goalkeeping for Sykes's goal. Um, Mark Sykes in, in incredible form, you know, who's being used as basically a right wing back for the first for the first uh, few months of the season. Not a position he, he ever played at Oxford. He is a player who I think has struggled to, to work out what his best position is. He's played as an eight, he's played as a ten, he's played as a as, as a right winger, and that's where he finds himself now on the right hand side of that of that three. Um, you know, talking a second ago about with Birmingham, good results won't change the the grumblings about what's going on off the pitch. Much bigger issues there at Bristol City. It kind of feels like it does. Um, you know, the most of the 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 anger from Bristol City fans has has fallen at Nigel Pearson's feet, especially during that uh, period where. Uh, he was playing central midfielders at centre-back. Uh, Rob Atkinson has come back into the side and has been an absolute colossus since returning. And some will probably say, well, why wasn't he playing the whole time? I'm pretty sure Nigel Pearson would want to take some credit for, for that run of form from Atkinson. Maybe thinking that bringing him out of the side um, was beneficial to, to his form. Uh, but yeah, as you say, I mean, clearly uh, Gunn should have done better with the Sykes finish. You know, it was basically hit straight at him and, and squirmed underneath him. Um, Norwich seemed to have been a bit shell-shocked by 
what they encountered against Burnley. Um, I think going into that Burnley game, Norwich fans were aware how difficult it would be, but thought after those eight goals in, in Wagner's two first games that maybe they'd very quickly broach that gap. But um, they came into this one, I think, not with their tail between their legs, but but maybe a little bit less sure of themselves as they had been, having been um, pretty quickly dispatched by, by Burnley early in that game. Um, and had... I think had plenty of, of, of opportunities, 16 shots in the game, uh, but only one on target, which was a pretty tame effort. So, um, yeah, Bristol City forcing their way into, you know, it's a big conversation, the playoff conversation, and, and you can go down pretty far because it's so congested. And Bristol City have firmly, firmly put themselves into that pack um, and Norwich unable to, to press on from those opening two wins to, um, to solidify their claims. Mm, 10 points between fourth-placed Luton and 16th-placed Queen's Park Rangers it is still pretty remarkable, pretty seeded and very batched in there. Uh, one of the teams going really well uh, is Millwall uh, and they went to QPR, they won 2-1. Um, just a, a, another clear improvement on something that that held Millwall back from making the playoffs in the last couple of years. It always felt like they were having 8 out of 10 seasons pretty consistently impressive on the budget, impressive core of their squad, always making fairly solid signings and staying fairly solid, always pretty reliable at home, but maybe not so good away from home and probably not that good going forward. And maybe that's what held them back at times. But it feels like very particularly when it comes to attacking and scoring goals and very particularly when it comes to their away record, which hasn't been amazing this season, but uh, wins like this make it look a little bit better. These are the things that needed to be improved to have Millwall absolutely top six contenders and that's what they are right now uh, George is it me or was, was Duncan Watmore like two yards offside for his goal and didn't really see anyone mention it I think it just shows how apathetic the QPR fans are right now that they didn't give the usual sort of offside goal fume uh, I was a bit confused about that <laughs> comedy defending from their point of view for the two goals Millwall just didn't need to be the, at their best to win this one but again just slightly better firepower than for than previous seasons, and that's what's doing the job for them. Um, can I get your thoughts on QPR? Because I'm really scratching my head at the moment. It's a horrendously long run without a win. It doesn't look great. It doesn't feel great. Is it the squad? Is it the hierarchy? Is it Critchley? I don't know whether it's just one of those freak runs that will probably just write itself at some point to you know not necessarily to a playoff level extent, but just to an okay mid-table extent or whether there's something a bit deeper at play here um probably a bit of both i mean i i don't think when you say it's going to write itself i i don't think the run of form is unfortunate i, th- I think they're they're pretty deserving of the bad run of form that they're they're in you know the, the players might be better but um pretty much in every game that they're playing in at the moment they are second best and therefore they're not picking up very many points um it's not like they're getting unlucky so i don't think that the you know without any agency of change suddenly things are gonna are gonna turn around and things are gonna improve um you know, not to blow our trumpets but i i think we both said when neil critchley came in that this felt like a good appointment long term and not a very good appointment short term um a, a pretty clunky um shift in terms of beale's ideology to, to critchley's ideology and then you also have to remember that neil critchley got off to a very difficult start uh, at Blackpool where he came in COVID it happened straight away but they started the, the promotion season really quite badly to the extent that I think their form from about eight games in till the end of the season would have had them pretty much top so 
there is also a precedent here for for Critchley's sides taking time to to really get to grips with his methods. So I, I personally really hope um, that the relationship between the QPR fans and Neil Critchley doesn't collapse to such an extent that they do not want him at the club early next season. I think this season now has to be seen as a write-off. I I, I know. QPR fans might think that they're sleepwalking into a relegation battle. It's something you covered on the pod last week um, where often fans can get a little bit overly cautious um, about possible relegation dangers that aren't really necessarily that pressing. I think that might be the case here. You know, I, I do think QPR have enough about them um, to, to get themselves enough points to, to ensure that they are, are going to be clear of it. Although, you know, with two teams getting in managers who guarantee survival, maybe that's going to be difficult. But, um, but... Yeah, I mean, in my mind, the Critchley appointment was always going to be one for next season. And a really poor run of form, bad performances alongside it, shouldn't cloud that fact. Well, our top two traded 3-0 wins. I feel like I say that every single week, uh, or the majority of the weeks. Burnley beat Preston 3-0, Sheffield United beat Swansea 3-0 George uh, in slightly different ways um, but still fairly definitively these two teams uh, continuing to set uh, pretty remarkable standards uh, at the top and uh, disposing of, of their opposition pretty pretty str- in a pretty straightforward manner. Yeah it's, it's getting to the stage now where I'm, I'm almost wondering and you know, this is to take anything away from either side but I'm almost wondering if, if teams are going into games against Burnley and, and Blades almost having a dip in their performance levels because they don't really believe that they that they can beat them. Because, I mean, Preston were atrocious against Burnley. Now, let's give Nathan Teller massive credit for his hat-trick, three sumptuous finishes. But you have to say they made it very easy for him, um, you know, standing off um, and enabling a guy who's, uh, who you know, certainly showed with his first two strikes that he was in the mood. Um, and not really getting too near them without really offering anything against them. I think it was probably for Burnley. You know, I, I predict in the betting show it might be quite a difficult afternoon for them, but I think Burnley fans probably left feeling like it was... I mean, they still scored three goals from just one expected goal, um, a couple of long-range strikes. But again, this is what I was talking about with with how I don't think the data matters because they were so far clear <laughs> in terms of the, the, the being ahead for the majority of the game and Preston creating so little and getting nowhere near their goal really that it didn't really matter um with Sheffield United as well Swansea have been um a bit unlucky in recent weeks in terms of their performance level and the results that they've got they haven't they've had a a really difficult time in front of goal but here again I mean Blades were able to to coast clear pretty quickly sexy Sanderberger with one of the best finishes of the weekend great angle that we saw in that in that in the uh not the top content thread as well um and yeah, it was just a, a pretty easy way to to coast um, to coast home. Both teams seem to be just in a way we don't normally see, and I, and I do still think we're going to have to see at least from one of them, a, a, you know, a, a difficult run between now and the end of the season. Because at the moment they're they're heading to the Premier League on on autopilot, which is which is rare to see. I loved uh, Murich in the in goal for Burnley, who basically played a sort of midfield role from goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't even really from goal. It was it, it, his average touch was outside of the eighteen-yard box, and I don't think you see that very often for a goalkeeper. And it's pretty fun. But that, but that's what I mean about the way that the opposition are, are approaching these games. Like I just, I just can't imagine. Like even if you take a, a team 
similar, I guess, in style. You know, let's let's say Norwich, who under Wagner obviously looked out from the back, but also pressed incredibly high. There's no way Preston would allow would allow um, Gunn or Cruel, whoever it's going to be, to take up that position. It's all you know the because they've been so dominant and because they're so good and because you know they're getting a lot of praise. It feels it just feels like teams are almost scared of them. Um, yeah, I and agree. I think I, I think we maybe saw that a bit with with, with Bielsa's leads, um, but it's yeah, it, it's it's just bizarre. For Sheffield United, I really enjoyed Jack Robinson's thumping effort after after Norwood's free kick hit the bar, and ever it's it seemed it seemed like everyone else just sort of stopped to to watch and think like, whoa, that was a pretty good free kick, Norwood, and Robinson was the one that was like, I think I know where this is going to drop, and I'm going to make sure I absolutely wallop it on the half volley, got absolutely taken out in doing so, and it flew and almost broke the net. Um, Borough, Borough George as well, scoring three goals and winning. Uh, again, feels like we're talking about the same stuff every single week, and I, and I mean that as pure praise. You know, their their first goal was a lovely move, finished off by Force, who's really warming up. Another player that was that was not ignored by Chris Wilder, but certainly not hugely supported, it didn't feel. Um, now contributing hugely, even with Archer, even with Akpom. Carrick's found a place for Force and is getting goals out of him, which is what you get from Force when he's sort of thriving and when he's, he's being trusted. And I, I genuinely wrote down like six or seven names of players that I felt had played a big role in, in, in this win. And again, that just speaks to the quality um, and the team quality and, and how well things are working in all areas of the pitch. I, I'm really, really intrigued to see what happens between Borough and Sheffield United. I'm definitely not going to make any predictions because it just feels too close to the game to do so. But I'm, I'm so excited to watch it. Hold on. I'm going to have to call you up on that anyway. What do you mean you're not going to call it because it's too close to the game? Do you only call do you only call uh, call matches when like a week before? Yeah, I like to have a bit more. I don't really like to predict midweek games. There's not enough run up. <laughs> I'm still sifting. Mate, look, it's Monday, three p.m. I'm, we're still talking about Saturday's games. I haven't <clears throat> I haven't moved my head forward on yet. I can barely speak anyway, mate. Um, anyway, <laughs> head forward on. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's impossible not to be incredibly impressed with with Borough um, again. The team they've been playing against have had quite a lot of like final third territory, quite a few shots. Um, I mean, Borough are one of the best teams, if if not probably actually, I would say the best team in a in an attacking sense, at creating consistent good goal scoring opportunities, and that is going to get you through a long way. I, I'm I'm really intrigued about Wednesday to see when they play up against a side of Sheffield United who have the quality to match Borough in the final third, how much their you know, their their defensive um frailty is the wrong word, but they are they aren't a side who are just shutting down and stopping the opposition from creating chances as a Burnley, for example, um do. So I, I I'll be intrigued. This is gonna be, you know, we saw them go up against against uh, Burnley and squander a one goal lead and lose the game and deservedly so Burnley with a better side. Um, Sheffield United are obviously, you know, one, well, look to be one step down from from Burnley. And I'm intrigued to see how Borough face up to this task because I don't think it's it's quite as obvious at this stage that Blades are, are much better than Borough. Um, so, as I say, I, I do think Blades will certainly get their chances uh, and whether or not Borough can, can still make their... Um, it, it reminds me a bit of, of what Plymouth are doing in League One, I guess, to an extent where... Um, Borough winning games, but they they're not 
necessarily winning in both boxes. They're winning like big old gunfights, which is, you know, mm. I, I, I'd like more teams like that. Sunderland beat Reading 1-0. Continuation of a theme, really. Reading losing away games. Uh, Sunderland getting it done for the most part. Yeah, Reading, another fan base who are suddenly thinking, hold on, are we are we safe yet? Um, and I, I think they probably have enough points on the board. I think if you were to run the season from now until the end maybe the bottom three would be would be in danger um but their home their home form uh i mean they've got a massive game midweek against rotherham at home if, if they had to get beaten there and kind of let rotherham pull further away from the bottom three and in doing so drag themselves further into it whilst also losing a home game against lowly opposition then i might be a bit concerned and suddenly yeah, the relationship between the fans and paul ince having been so good previously is definitely souring as well um, and it's probably not a great position to be in when the relationship between fan base and manager is souring when your best player is the manager's son because you have to wonder <laughs> uh, if, if if you know if things continue to go badly and Reading want to be the side that go out and get Sam Allardyce to ensure survival um, if Paul if if Tom Ince would necessarily be as um, motivated to, to continue to play for them. This is all by the by, and and you know who knows what's going to happen. Likelihood is that they beat Rotherham on, in midweek, and then all talk of relegation and Ince um, goes out the window for a while. Um, they they were probably the better side in the first twenty minutes here. Ince himself having a couple of chances. Sunderland fans getting quite, um, yeah, a bit worried about the the lack of quality. Um, but as the game continued, Sunderland's quality on the ball uh, became clearer and clearer. Um, Patrick Roberts, you know, it's it's just uh, it is. Um, inevitable with Sunderland that one of their very talented youngsters uh, well not even youngsters youngsters I mean Patrick Roberts isn't even young anymore one of their very talented attacking players um, with their quality on the ball will hurt you and in a game of a few chances uh, Roberts was able to, and terrible defending you have to say from Reading as well um, Roberts was able to capitalise and, and you know get the ball on the right hand channel and fashion it into a goal scoring opportunity which he took Um I'm not convinced Sunderland are playing as well as they have done previously in the season at the moment. Um, some key players, certainly Ahmad, not in the form that he was in, uh, but you know, they, they put themselves in a great position to go on and, and get into the playoffs, which should be, you know, it's easy to forget that they only came up for, through the playoffs last season from League One. Uh, not often you see teams doing what they're doing. Uh, elsewhere in the NTT20 world, uh, I was able to have a chat with David Priest this morning. Now that has gone up on our YouTube channel, or will go up on our YouTube channel on, on Monday evening or Tuesday morning. One of the many things I spoke to David about was Anthony Patterson, the Sunderland goalkeeper who broke his way into the first team really just over a year ago when David was working for the club uh, as part of the goalkeeping coaching staff. So no one really better place to tell us about Anthony Patterson. Make sure you catch the interview with Preci on our YouTube channel. There's going to be two parts to it. There's one part which is very Sunderland heavy because it's a pretty cool thing that a boyhood Sunderland fan who came through and started his career at Sunderland and then spent a long time playing for a lot of other clubs uh, was back at his boyhood club when they won promotion uh, via the playoffs overseeing the emergence of a goalkeeper from the academy in Anthony Patterson it's a cool story and it was great to chat with David about it and to talk also about other goalkeepers in the EFL that have caught his eye this season during the uh, media work in particular that he's been doing I just love speaking to David and 
people who can talk about goalkeepers from a real position of knowledge. I, I think that myself and you are happy to admit we do we don't know loads of what goes into being an amazing goalkeeper. It's probably the most you know, it's the it is obviously the most unusual, most specific position on the pitch. And I think unless you really study it and really analyse it, you can only ever have a fairly surface level uh, idea of goalkeeping. So I love talking to Preci because the way that he explains things and why certain things are important or less important than people may think is really fascinating. So head to our YouTube channel uh, and watch our two videos with David Priest that will go out uh, this week. A bit worried about Reading. Haven't really looked like winning a game for a couple of weeks. Um, pretty tough fixtures, in fairness, but definitely a team to keep an eye on. Uh, some draws as well in the Championship. Coventry 1, Luton 1. A good point for Luton on paper. They are at the very top of the seeded batch in fourth at the moment, but I guess given the momentum of both sides at the moment and the early lead that they took, there'll probably be some regrets that they didn't hold on and win it, uh, particularly as it was a, a fairly avoidable penalty concession as well for, for Coventry's goal. Uh, Watford won, Blackburn won. Two draws in a week for Blackburn, who drew it home to Wigan as well. That's uh, always going to happen, wasn't it, George? They went, what was it, 28 games without a draw? And then three in a row. Um, a beautiful take from Bradley Dack. There's a little feint that I just love um, uh, ahead of him finishing it. Uh, and two nil-nils, Blackpool nil, Rotherham nil. Uh, not a great week for Blackpool, I wouldn't say. A, a draw with Huddersfield, a draw with Rotherham. They'd have wanted one win at the very least. Mate, they've got survival guaranteed. It's fine. Right. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, interesting week for them. Mick McCarthy's team selection described as cowardly, I saw on Twitter after that Huddersfield game, which I thought was quite interesting. He played a lot of defenders and not a lot of attackers. And I thought, well, that's just the other side of the coin. Well, you know what you're going to get from McCarthy. He knows himself. He knows the way he wants to play. He's going to pack the defence, make them really solid, reduce the game to nothing and try and nick a goal from a set piece or on the break. But apparently when that doesn't work, it's cowardly. Anyway, uh, Stoke nil, Hull nil was also a match that happened, by all accounts. Uh, League One, wow. We spent 20 minutes previewing Ipswich Sheffield Wednesday on the YouTube channel. There was plenty to sift through. There was a lot of knowns and a lot of unknowns. In the end, it finished 2-2, with Sheffield Wednesday taking that early lead after Cameron Dawson saved a penalty from Connor Chaplin. Good save with his legs to continue his incredible form. Magnificent Michael Smith header and a nice bit of George Byers arriving late, picking up some scraps and finishing. But Ipswich did come back in the end. The, the source of their goals are both direct free kicks. So, yeah, a lot to preview, quite a lot to review as well. A draw that, in the circumstances, doesn't really do much for either side. You know, Ipswich needed the win at home to, to reel Sheffield Wednesday back in. You know, for Wednesday, with a six-point gap, which would have become nine with a game in hand. So feasibly, you know, the way Wednesday are going would have been probably at least 10, maybe 12. Um, at this stage of the season, it would be it would have to be a huge drop-off from Wednesday in order to, to, to squander that. So, you know, I don't want to over-egg it, but in my mind, Wednesday were, were a 2-0 lead up and heading towards not far off, not securing their promotion, but but going pretty close to doing it. You know, the, the amount, the, the drop-off levels would have been huge. Um so even though going into the game, a point at Portman Road would have been acceptable, uh, the way 
to, to concede those, especially to, you know two direct free kicks. The first one is an unbelievable hit from Broadhead. The second one from Davis is it's just a massive deflection. Will probably frustrate them given where they put themselves in the game. Also, when you consider that the reverse game went exactly the same way, but the other way around as well, with with Ipswich take, taking a two 0 lead at Hillsborough before Wednesday came back and drew it to all. Um, so uh, yeah, a game where I, I don't think we necessarily saw loads of quality from either side. Um, I don't think a neutral going to that game at the top end of League One would have been particularly impressed with, with what they saw. Um, I think that's quite often the way when it comes down to a lot being on the line, especially given that goal-scoring opportunities were few and far between with 20 minutes to go, which again maybe was a sign that both teams were intent not to make sure they didn't lose the game rather than throwing everything out, out winning it. Um, the real winners here, I guess, were Plymouth Argyle, um, which, as is often the case, having had a huge blow dealt to their um, promotion credentials last weekend and losing themselves and seeing Ipswich win and seeing um, Derby win and seeing Bolton win um, seeing Barnsley win it was a bit of a disaster suddenly they go and get a big big three points uh, against against Pompey and everyone around them drops points and they're, they're back top of the table yeah, I was I was a little disappointed with how the game played out after Davis's equalising free kick the last 40 minutes there was there was a flint chance for Sheffield Wednesday. I think it hit the bar um, at the back post, a, a decent chance. And then a Ladapo chance, which, again, I don't want to over-egg it. It wasn't a huge chance, but it was a, a sort of half-chance, scrappy half-volley from the penalty spot, which he sent wide in injury time. But aside from that, it felt like they'd sort of traded blows and run out of steam a little bit, which is a shame. Um, as per both bookmakers and prediction site 538 now, uh, around a 60% chance that Sheffield Wednesday win the league, um, which is probably going to be news to the new leaders. Who are the old leaders? Plymouth Argyle went back top. Uh, 3-1 winners against Pompey. Uh, you, you referred to Plymouth and Middlesbrough sharing some similarities, George, with the way that they win their games and how they, they tend to be high shot volume gunslinging battles. And that was the case here. 43 shots total in the game. 22 for Portsmouth, 21 for Argyle. Great entertainment at home park. And as has been the case, in 14 of their 15 home games, George, Argyle uh, took the better shots, or rather scored the goals when it mattered. Um, another entertaining affair. And another three points for him. Yeah, incredible how when you think how important Mike Cooper's been to, to Argyle, um, they, you know, their keeper having done his, his uh, ACL, and you think, are they going to be able to um, to sustain this? They come up against the Pompey team. As you say, Pompey have loads of shots, but just can't really find the target. And therefore, um, even though, again, they created, um, you know, I think it was 25 shots, was it, in the game? Only three on target, scored the one goal. Argyle, incredibly clinical, as, as they always are. Um, you know, I still just can't see how Argyle's games are going to continue to go down this route and they're going to continue to come out on top. Um, but I think after the disappointment, as I say, of Saturday, um, it's going to be really difficult. It, I thought it might be really difficult for them to, to bounce back, not only with the you know the dropping the points, but also losing key players, uh, especially Cooper. Um, but they did it in, in resounding fashion. Um, and they go to a, a, a really struggling Oxford side on Tuesday night if they can get a win there again, um, then they are proving themselves. I feel like they have to prove themselves in everybody's eyes basically every week that they are um, genuine title contenders. They're top of the league in mid-February. They're still like a four-to-one chance with the Betfair Sportsbook to win the title, which shows that everyone is still doubting whether they have the staying power, including myself, to be honest. 
Um, but with every week that goes by, you have to continue to say, um, well, just basically tip your hat to just a remarkable football team who, you know, even if, going back to what I said about Borough and the championship side of things, even if they're not the best at stopping the opposition from having their joy, they are the best at, at making sure they get over the line with their noses in front. And this was with six, seven, eight players rotated. Uh, not all of the eight changes were uh, rotation. Some of them were enforced, but Matete, Mumba and Azaz all came off the bench and played around 30 minutes, which does not spell good news for Oxford United, you'd think. Uh, Azaz, so slick, so smooth in taking his goal. Uh, Cosgrove and Hardy as well. Uh, it was all very Plymouth Argyle 22-23. And, and I do think the whole... You know, people are still waiting for them to drop off and, and people are doubting their staying power. It's very powerful, motivational tool for them, that. Like, they play on it as you would, as you absolutely should. And I genuinely believe there's value in having something like that to help focus the mind, to help create a certain atmosphere within both the squad and the fan base and get everyone pulling together, completely together, in a sort of no-one-believes-us mentality. We've seen it so many times every year there's a team that that seems almost fueled by that sort of uh, no one fancies us will show them uh, and of course you know it's it's something that Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday will never have because the size of these clubs in these divisions they are expected to do this so it's a completely different um yeah like menu in terms of what you can use for motivation uh, and our guard doing it so well gigantic statement of intent was laid down by Bolton Wanderers George who beat Peterborough 5-0 um, the most notable thing for me being that I, I'm pretty sure it was only a couple of weeks ago that I said, look, that the one thing about Everts Bolton team in the last 18, 19 months since they rejoined League One that I haven't been impressed by. The, basically, the only thing was their record against the best teams, particularly away from home last season uh, against the top six or seven teams. I, I'll include Argyle. They were so close to the playoffs. Um, their away games, they lost six out of seven, drew the other one. Uh, even their home games, they lost four, drew two, won one. So they really did drop a lot of points against the teams that they were chasing. And again, this season, home games, they've drawn to Argyle, Derby, Barnsley. They lost to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, away games, they lost to Argyle. They lost to Derby. They drew with Ipswich. They did beat Barnsley, uh, albeit with an early red card for Barnsley. Uh, and then this, a 5-0 win against Peterborough. It genuinely is something quite new and very, very notable. Um, I had a, a mate at this game who said the thing that struck him most was the, the quality and depth in their forward line, which has taken a few people by surprise because it, it comes from January editions, essentially. Shoratire on loan from Manchester United looks super lively, won two penalties here, um, just looks to have some serious quality and gives defences something else to think about, which has allowed Dion Charles um, to rack up a few goals recently. And then when they got tired of pressing and harrying and making runs, Adeboyejo and Cameron Jerome came on. Adeboyejo is one of the top scorers in the division in the first half of the season, playing for a poor team. Cameron Jerome actually playing pretty well whenever he played for Luton Town. This is not, in my eyes, some old striker that's massively falling off. He's in pretty ridiculous shape. And basically, every time I've seen him play in the last few years, he's looked like he's playing He's playing perfectly well. So he came on. That's not including Lundulu, who's not in the squad. Um so, yeah, it's, it, it is a gigantic statement of intent. And we've been banging on about Derby and could they maybe, could they maybe put a bit of pressure on? Well, if you do that, then after this 5-0 win, we're bolting uh, three points clear of Derby, albeit having played two games more, and level on points with Ipswich, 
albeit having played a game more, you have to put them in, in the conversation as well. Uh, Ricardo Santos is, is very much back now. He missed uh, December in the first half of January with a horrible illness, which I believe hospitalised him, um, but back and, and scoring two goals as well uh, against a team that he was uh, formerly a player of. So very, very sweet days for Bolton uh, and a bit of a uh, kick in the teeth for D. Ferg Jr. Darren, Darren Ferguson, famously a few months younger than Duncan Ferguson. Uh, which was my error last week. Put the brakes on a little bit after a strong start for him. Uh, Wickham 3, Derby 2. Winging it. Massive, massive, massive win, say my notes. Massive, massive, massive. Yeah, yeah. it, it was a, a massive win for Wickham, <laughs> as you say, in terms of, of their own aspirations to break into the, the top six. You know, it does feel this season like there's a very clear top six and I think everybody expects, um, well, Wednesday to go up automatically probably one of our guard and Ipswich to, to be the second side, although Bolton and Derby fans have something to say about that. And then, you know, Barnsley, Derby, Bolton, Ipswich, you know, one of those those four to be the ones to get into the playoffs. Um, but Wickham and Shrewsbury, the two teams on the, the coattails of those. And I think for Wickham to go and, and basically without Mometti, who's been their, their star boy over the last 18 months, um, to continue their good form. That's three wins on the bounce now. Up against a Derby side who've been in like rampant form um, who've basically been beating anyone who, who's, who's put in front of them um, you know Derby were, were pretty good on the day and there wasn't a, a big drop off here McGoldrick with two magnificent bits of link up play uh, in order to create their two goals they'll be disappointed with the the chances that, that Wickham were able to um, to create uh, wing with a, with a decent long range strike and a, and a close range finish for the, for the third goal um, it was a pretty end to end high variance you know loads of shots at, at both sides and again it probably either side could have won um but i think for for gareth ainsworth you know they're having to do it a different way the, the wickham side that went up um what was it two seasons ago uh to, or three seasons ago to the championship yeah um were just masters at killing games and I, I don't really think they've got that ability anymore against the better sides I think Gareth Ainsworth isn't able to, to take the lead and just shut games down I think against poorer quality teams it's still possible but we're seeing Wickham games be, be far more end-to-end than previously um, but they do have a lot more attacking talent in their sides now than, than that side probably did um, whether it's folks being the front man McCleary being the you know the, the player with the free role in the final third wing with a creative freedom to get forward and, and we know how much he likes a shot um, and those players stepping up um, was enough here to, for, for them to see off uh, Paul Warren. So, uh, yeah, a huge win. And you know, for, for Derby, because the teams at the top are in such good form, every time one of those teams loses a game, um, you basically see all teams around them picking up three points and going past them. Yeah, Scowen always seems to be being highlighted by the Wickham fans as just every single game doing the work of two, essentially out of possession. Uh, unbelievable here as well, uh, according to Chris on the Sunday Scouting Report. And a lesser spotted uh, Lewis Wing goal from inside the box. I looked on who scored um, for all the goals that who scored have got from Wing in his career. Two thirds of them being from outside of the box, uh, which is pretty remarkable. But but uh, this one, a little dart into the near post and a nice finish to win the game, to ice the game for Wickham. That makes the league more interesting, in my opinion. Wickham, on the charge, not far off the playoffs. Shrewsbury, on the charge, not far off the playoffs. 3-2 winners against Port Vale. Six wins in a row now in front of 8,500 home fans. That's 2,500 more than their average. They are buying into it, and it's so good to see. Uh, I would suggest that 
in this game, and it seems to be a different hero every week at the moment, I think Shea Dunkley's probably the hero. Uh, Shea Dunkley, who smashed home a volley to put them ahead, who won a, a, a second ball or a, a, an aerial duel in the box in order to set up the second goal, which was scored, I think, by Leahy, um, was just heavily involved in winning almost everything that was thrown at him uh, and and an, another new hero or another match day hero for Shrews. But Luke Leahy's progression over the last few years is one of my favourite individual player like trajectories in the EFL. He's He is among League One's highest performing centre midfielders. And maybe I just got this wrong, but for, I didn't even think of him as a centre mid until about a year ago, if that. He would play like left wing back, left back, maybe left centre back in a three. Uh, didn't always look that comfortable defensively. It always was like nice little cultured left foot. Now he's just like, yeah, no, I'll just run the game. I'll tackle, but I'll also get on the ball and I'll do whatever you want with it, basically. And I'll score the odd goal as well. I'll take set pieces, deliver them well. I'll score penalties. It's absolutely sensational. Uh, as is the emergence of Killian Phillips, who they got on loan from Crystal Palace in January. He's had a huge impact with assisting the last two winning goals, well, certainly the one against Forest Green and Oxford, and then scoring the, the winning goal here. Um, it's been an amazing addition to their team. And it, it means that Bayliss and Shipley don't have quite as much responsibility on them in those attacking midfield roles. So pretty incredible all round, I would say, Shrews at the moment. Like particularly when you consider that between Boxing Day and New Year's Day, they lost to Cambridge, then they lost at home to Cheltenham, then they lost at home to Fleetwood, all bottom eight teams. And then they've just cranked out six in a row. Remarkable. Uh, per soccer stats, they've got the toughest remaining fixtures. So if they're going to do it, it's going to be done the hard way. Uh, George, Barnsley 2, Cambridge 0. Uh, I feel like Max Waters' goal is kind of notable because he could be a big player for Barnsley in the second half of the season. I feel well, like he's going to miss the next three. I feel like up top is where they've been light. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of loath to praise that because I honestly think that elbow and that red card is... As you know, not much makes me properly angry when watching football. Some of the things that make a lot of people angry don't make me quite so angry. That sort of thing really does. That is not not short of disgraceful, in my opinion. There were two, weren't there? I mean, Waters, we may, we may as well talk about them both. Um, Waters and uh, Ryan Loft at Bristol Rovers. Both, from what I can see, pretty obvious, deliberate elbows um, and like attempted disguised elbows make it even worse. Um, and I don't know the way that Waters, he kind of knew as soon as he'd done it and he tried to walk off. Um, yeah, I mean, not great from him, to be honest. And, you know, I'm sure we'll be told he's not the type. Um, but, you know, as you say, to, to get his first goal, you know, you mentioned there that they've been light. And I guess that's probably true because they've got, you know, two players in, in Cole and, and Norwood who they're incredibly reliant on. Um, there's not much depth there. And adding Waters to that rotation certainly gives them a bit more, especially because, you know, Norwood certainly hasn't scored as many goals. Um, you know, probably anticipated Norwood would be the more prolific of the two with him and Cole, but Cole's proven to be that so far. Um, and Waters, you know, hadn't got off to a, a great goal-scoring start at Barnsley, so for him to score his first goal at home and then to throw in an elbow halfway through the first half was was not particularly clever. Uh, it didn't really end up mattering for for Cambridge. You know, they are their for current form is just really bleak. Um, they just look a shadow of their former selves and they're not creating much and when they do break into the final third that they're not particularly good at finishing the few chances that they do create um i think for barnsley to be playing with with 10 men for the amount of time they play with 10 men and, and to coast home so comfortably and then even add to the scoreline is a pretty damning indictment of where cambridge are right now um 
And, you know, whenever we talk about Cambridge, we talk about Bonner and we talk about how with other managers, they probably would have um, pulled the ripcord now. Um, but with with Bonner, there's such a, a desire um, from the fans and from the club after the amazing job that he's done with everyone probably at Cambridge, hoping and anticipating that they had a manager who, they, who could um, lead them on the upward trajectory that he was going to take them. Um, things are now looking really, really bleak. Um, They've got a big game coming up on Saturday um, against hosting Oxford. Um, so two of the most out-of-form teams in the league um, up against each other might be an opportunity for them to to bounce back. Uh, but at this stage, they you know, they look to me to be... They have to improve their performances massively if they're not to get relegated back to League 2. Quality goal from Jordan Williams uh, that made it 2-0. Uh, Williams is, is probably... I reckon I've been to 20-odd games so far this season. I reckon of all the players I've watched live this season, Williams is in the top three players that I've mass like appreciated much more watching live than I ever did uh, previously. Um, and not known for goals, to be fair. I was more impressed with his speed and his 1v1 defending, but um, if he can add that string to his bow, then that's only going to take him higher. Um, I think Billy Mitchell is also on the podium. I need to think of a third. I'll have a think. Um, Burton beat X to 1-0. The only team in the bottom five in League One to win. And therefore, a big one. Burton's season lurches from ridiculous to sublime to confusing to amazing to bizarre. Uh, and they're now in 18th, which is just <laughs> completely insane. They lost 5-0 to Morecambe. And then they lost, was it 4-0 to Shrewsbury? This is like two weeks ago. And everyone's going, oh, well, Marmory has lost his grip. That's obviously them. That's them done now. Nope. No, thank you. Absolutely not. And with Exeter, I just think they're in a bit of an interesting spot at the moment. They're 10th in the league. But I, I think I think we just have to keep re-rating them. Um, their numbers under Caldwell, their results under Caldwell are four wins, five draws, six defeats. So 17 points from 14. It's not a great points return, to be honest. Um, and I think it was always going to be hard for him to keep things going from where Taylor... I think Taylor basically left them at the highest point that they were realistically going to be at. Um, and he hasn't kept the standards quite so high, but they haven't been horrendous either. So we just have to kind of bear in mind when you're, when you're seeing a team playing Exeter, they're not necessarily playing the 10th best team in the league, I don't think, at this stage. Um, and that's not even a big dig. They've got a fairly small squad. Um, they've got legal issues with Giovanni Brown at the moment. I just... I don't think I really expect them to pick up loads of points between now and the end of the season, but clearly they're going to be absolutely fine. Their um, their next four home games are Shrewsbury, which is obviously tough. Uh, then Cambridge, then Lincoln, then Accrington. So you would hope, I mean, their fans will basically be demanding, you'd think, um, to at least see a couple of wins there for some signs of life because, you know, I think right now for Exeter, um, I think everyone's aware that their season will end up with them finishing bang in mid-table um, or... I mean, maybe lower half of things don't go particularly well, but the, the you know the season in terms of possible achievement is over, and, and you know credit to them because being effectively safe in February um, after promotion isn't isn't the worst effort for sure. No, I completely agree about that. Um, Charlton one, Fleetwood two. George, that the soap opera that is Charlton Athletic um, paused to play a football match, a uh, one that they lost at home to, to Fleetwood. Very important points for the Cod Army. I'd been pretty worried about them on on last Monday's pod. Uh, hard not to feel like their opposition may have been somewhat distracted. Yeah, it it's hard to really know what what to say about Charlton right now, apart from yet another off-field saga. Um, 
you know, it seems fairly obvious now that there was a group of um, investors led by Charlie Methan um, from Sunderland Till I Die fame um, who were trying to to purchase uh, Charlton Athletic. There are contrasting reports as to why that has fallen through. The only thing that seems clear is that it has fallen through for now. Um, at the time of the, the new kind of footballing appointments being made, we saw um, Dean Holden being appointed as manager. We saw Andy Scott being appointed as um, head of recruitment. Jim Rodwell came in behind the scenes as well. Um, there seems to be some contrasting reports as to the future of these appointments after the, the deal has fallen through. There was some talk that Dean Holden had left the club, but he was he was in charge of the Fleetwood game and he spoke afterwards about how he has to have conversations, but you know he's loving his time there. Thomas Sandgard has said that he wants to renew um, his deal. But you know the biggest question mark in my mind at this stage isn't about the consortium that haven't bought Charlton Athletic. The question is who is going to buy them because you know, this wasn't you know an opportune moment where Sangard wasn't wasn't looking to sell and someone came along and he thought you know here we go. The club and Sangard clearly are looking to sell as soon as possible. Um, so with one proposed takeover falling through, is it back to square one? Are there other people waiting in the wings to, to come in to come in and swoop? Because Charlton Athletic fans quite clearly deserve just somebody to come and buy their club who and yes, you know, there's difficulty where De Chatelet still owns the training ground and De Chatelet still owns the valley and there don't seem to be any um conducive conversations going on around any new owners being able to to purchase that off him and that in itself probably makes Charlton a not particularly attractive asset to buy when you're all you're buying is effectively a football club with debts and um pretty high rent to play in order to call their home a home um but all I'm doing you know as a neutral sitting here supporting a club who've had to pay extortionate rent to a, a landlord for the best part of two decades um, is just hoping that Charlton that, that there's good news soon and, and once Sandgard does agree a, a price with another prospective buyer the deal can go through and whoever comes in goes into it with his eyes open doesn't make promises that they can't stick to and a few years down the line Charlton Athletic are seeing their owner's name in the stands of the Valley because it's been a long time since that happened for sure. Well, a, a great day for the travelling Fleetwood Town fans. Sean Rooney only scores bangers and did so here. And then Holgate uh, heading them back in front in the second half after a, another beautiful Jezrin Raksaki goal. Charlton now played seven of the bottom 11 teams at home and they haven't won a single one of those games. Those are the games that you're meant to win if you're a playoff chaser, if you're a top half team. But um, it's it's only draws and defeats against the bottom teams when they've played them at home, which is pretty peculiar. Elsewhere, Morecambe won, Forest Green won. Uh, Forest Green's game plan looked fairly effective here and they did take the lead through Jamari Clark on loan from Reading. Uh, but Cole Stockton, as mentioned on the betting show, just looks a little happier. He looks a little sharper. He looks a little bit more like 21-22 Cole Stockton and scored a very powerful strike uh, following a, a nice bit of link play from young Michael Mellon. Son of Mickey Mellon, who's on loan at Morecambe from Everton. Uh, nice assist there. We saw a beautiful goal at MK Dons, scored by Oxford's on loan Chelsea midfielder Lewis Bate. A one all draw. Oxford, MK Dons and Cheltenham and Accrington drew 0-0 as well. 
Why don't we go into League Two where none of the top five won? It's great having a weekend like this. I love it when this happens, George, because it means that you just get a little squeeze on. The main beneficiaries were Mansfield, 2-0 winners at home to Jills, and Stockport, 3-1 winners at Harrogate. That one in particular, George, looked frankly like a complete mismatch, Stockport and Harrogate. Yeah, I am getting pretty concerned for Harrogate. Um, If we take the bottom of League Two as it stands, um, and I know I'm treading on your toes here because I'm going to talk about games we haven't um, you know, spoken about the results yet, but I think when we're talking about Harrogate, we have to look at their, you know, the, the chances of them being sucked into the relegation battle because you've got a Rochdale side who are definitely not in good form. They picked up one point from their last five games, but taking in isolation their performance on Saturday at home to promotion-chasing Northampton... If they play like that for the rest of the season, they are going to be fine because they were probably the better side over the course of the 90 minutes. Um, they were unlucky to only get a point. And, you know, in Jim Bentley, they do have a manager who you think might be able to instigate some kind of improvement. Um, next up in the in the League Two table, uh, we have got um, Gillingham, who we know that under Neil Harris and the new, and the new owner, yes, they lost on Saturday, but um, I don't think anyone expects them to be down there. Crawley, um, who drew, so we won't talk about them I have definitely seen a, a market improvement uh, under Scott Lindsay in their in their their two games that we've seen there, um, looking way way better from in every single aspect of their play, especially going forward. Having been such a blunt attacking force for most of the season, I'm seeing improvements in terms of what he's doing, and it's no surprise because we know the squad is better than their league position. Um, and sitting beneath them is Hartlepool, who um, have won two of their last five games, only lost two of those five. So, but you know. I think there's a case to be made for those four teams beneath them. That this isn't normally the case at this stage of the season in League Two. Normally, those teams towards the bottom end, you know, they're they're struggling for points at all. I think all four are possibly in the best shape, maybe with the exception of Hartlepool, but possibly in the best shape they've been in all season. And then we take Harrogate, who, as you say, Stockport, who haven't been in the best form themselves um, this uh, in the last few weeks, were just all over them you know the the, the Hinchcliffe owned goal was, was basically just a, a cross that's been diverted in um, and Stockport were, were the better, better side by absolute miles the game before that was a, a 1-0 Harrogate win where again it was from an own goal it was a ridiculous own goal where it was a Huntington back pass from the 40 yard or 30 yards that, that's gone in Carlisle won the shot count in that game 18-3 and then before that you have to go back to uh, Boxing Day for Harrogate's last win which is a 3-2 win over Grimsby I don't see, unless things improve, Harrogate getting that many points between now and the end of the season in their current performance levels. And on 27 points, they've got nowhere near enough, nowhere near enough to be close to safety. In my mind now, I would almost have them as the likeliest for relegation. And that isn't reflected in the bookies' prices or people's way of thinking. But I think they're the worst team in the league right now and the teams beneath them I don't think it will take them that long to catch up unless they improve. Wow. Strong. Strong. They're also one of those teams that's hard to trust because the points that they have picked up came in like a highly concentrated run of not very many games. Peculiar. Interesting. Interesting. Well, they were blown away by by Stockport, uh, it's fair to say. Uh, Collar scoring, obviously, again. Uh, Hippolyte scored the first. Uh, Paddy Madden injured for this one, but Alafe came in, made a big impact, scored his first goal uh, for the club as well. And, and you know, the fact they were able to get Alafe and Jack Stretton in in January when 
on the face of it, they didn't have an immediate need for them at that time with, with um, Wooten and Madden so established as their front two. Well, now you're seeing how that sort of heft, if you like, that sort of pulling power and that ability to go out and add more players in January can be so, so valuable, I think, um, for teams in League Two. So good week for them. Great week for Mansfield as well. A comfy, comfy home win against Gillingham, a team that, that people were expecting to be pretty awkward opposition, um, but not particularly Mansfield. Uh, very much controlled the game, won it with relative comfort. And I genuinely think they don't do this enough. Even last season and all of this season, I, I think I've said it a few times, I never... like Mansfield are a good team. They win a lot of football matches. They're towards the top of this division. And I expect that they'll make the top seven. But there's still the slight personality trait of theirs where it sometimes just, it just looks a little bit loose. Um, this was their first clean sheet in seven. or well, they didn't keep a clean sheet in seven before this. Um, so I'm just pleased to see it like when they just when they essentially fulfill what I think their potential is to be one of the best teams in League Two to win home games to establish themselves at the top of this division and to do so without much of a fuss that's notable for me it hasn't happened enough but we know enough about Clough that that can become something that they start doing they they can put serious runs together and maybe they'll just time their run nicely they're in a decent spot after this weekend Aiken's very good up top here as the as the sort of target man pivot he does that very very well Maris great in midfield he's been fantastic for them uh, in midfield all season where others have kind of flitted in and out of form I, I think Maris has been highly consistent and uh, was good here too the big result George was Stevenish two Bradford three for Bradford a huge second half performance, basically out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty feisty game. Um, no love lost at all between Steve Evans and Mark Hughes, um, two, <laughs> two men who came into management in slightly different um, ways, uh, but crossing paths here. Um, yeah, I think when Carl Piergiani put Stephen Edge ahead, um, such an incredible source of goals. You and I and everyone else probably expected this was going to be an easy game for, for Stevenage, especially given Bradford's poor away record. Um, I think we probably should point out that the penalty looked very soft um, for Bradford, uh, which Andy Cook was able to put away. An unbelievable finish from Matt Derbyshire. Ooh. Um, yeah, a brilliant strike. Seemingly hit the crossbar twice on its way in, which was quite fun. <laughs> we saw with Cook in the scoring the goal against his former club Mansfield. We saw it here. I think he's someone who relishes the um, the big occasion. Um a Stevenage side who we know are very physical. Mark Hughes spoke about the dark arts afterwards in the game, Steve Evans and his touchline antics. And he massively stepped up to the plate. Um, and it was you know, it was probably Stevenage who at two all looked the more likely to, to get the winner. Um, but not many teams will go to, to Stevenage and create the opportunities that the Bradford were able to. And um, for Evans and for Stevenage, having seen off Orient so comfortably at home, having seen Orient drop points on Saturday, but to get beaten at home will feel like a huge blow like a, a win on Saturday and that puts them in the box seat for the title again whereas dropping points at home that little sheen of invincibility um, maybe maybe wearing off a little bit as well Aidan Stevenage fan said Pierre Gianni was his usual self and Forster Kasky impressed um, Andy Cook is inevitable but Gilead also stood out for uh, Bradford uh, yeah Cook was just absolutely sensational and had a huge hand in all three of Bradford's goals. Uh, it was very much going against form that one. And could that just be a little shot in the arm for, for Bradford? As as someone fair enough pointed out to me after I picked Stevenage on the betting show, um, someone did point out that Bradford have had some pretty tough fixtures since Boxing Day and the, and the results in that context haven't been that bad. 
um, and and maybe that was true. Maybe they were just waiting for for one like this. Um, it was a good weekend. Was it a good weekend for Orient, George? I guess it's a good weekend for Orient with their one all draw away at Walsall and going one point further ahead of Stevenage. Yeah, I think I think a point at Walsall is a good point. Um, though they may be frustrated that they didn't get all three points given after Ed turns turned some Eds with a, a superb finish into the top left hand corner, his second goal in a week. Um, that they weren't able to get the winner because it was them who for that last 10 minutes were knocking on the door but but also were decent for the first hour or so um they are a good side and for orient to pick up that point especially with results around them going in their favor um yeah definitely a, a good point out of context and, and when you could factor that in as well a, a brilliant weekend what a strike from turnsey absolutely loved that and uh i think in the I think in the end, uh, Walsall were quite happy to to sort of cling on. Um, interesting game, that one. Barrow nil, Newport won. For the second Newport game in a row, the most important thing that happened was a red card for their opposition. Um, I mean, I don't think that should have been a red card. I don't think I'm alone uh, in that. At worst for me, a, a, a clumsy tackle for a yellow, a little bit late, but with obvious intent to just get to the ball and obviously just a bit of a slow defender who didn't quite get there uh, I thought that was a great shame uh, it, it didn't help Barrow because it had been a pretty boring game at that point but Barrow had had the ascendancy you'd say and uh, and then maybe Newport were just growing into it by the time the red red card came whatever the case was after the red it only went one way and it ended with a 95th minute set piece Mickey Dimitriou heading home uh, heading home an Adam Lewis cross I mentioned him last week with some really nice bits of play in that win against Swindon and we have to mention him again Dan Grace who's a Newport fan on NTT20 squad mentioning Lewis again outstanding he's been really good the last few weeks says Dan he's turning into this year's gem of a loan signing. They've got some record in the loan market, Newport. His delivery from left-back is brilliant, and he's so dangerous from set pieces. Another assist for the winner yesterday. So for Newport, you know, with love and respect to the Amber Army, that's two wins in two weekends where the most important factor was red cards to the opposition. So uh, fortunate six points, but a very, very important one for Graham Coughlin, whose, whose side hadn't picked up many points before then. Unlike... Colchester United and Matt Bloomfield, George, five in a row away from home, having beaten Grimsby on the weekend. Let's just remind ourselves, they had one point from 11 away games. Now they got now they got 16 from 16. <laughs> yes, yeah, so good. Um, Tom Hopper with a close range finish from a set piece. And then they were able to kind of sit on their lead with relative comfort. Uh, I do wonder with Grimsby if possibly the... Um, incredible midweek antics of beating Luton 3-0 um, a slight sense of after Lord Mayor's show with this one where I think with with their position in the league I mean they've got so many games in hand um, as well their fixed congestion between now and the end of the season is mad um, but if possibly all eyes are now very much focused on St Mary's on I think it's the, the 1st of March um, and you couldn't begrudge them for that because they're not going down they're not going up Um and they have an opportunity to for one of the biggest cup upsets to get themselves in the FA Cup uh, quarterfinal. Um, for Colchester, incredibly impressive. Matt Bloomfield very much laying the foundations for um, his management career because you know he's proven himself in a very short space of time to be very adept at, at this job. 
Uh, and for you know, it kind of reminds me of when Mike Duff went in, went in at Charlton in the mid-season, where immediately you were like, yep, this guy clearly has something about him. And then the next season he took, having taken over Cheltenham in a pretty lowly position in League Two, uh, they then went up the next season straight away into League One. I'm not suggesting for a second that Colchester will go up, but you have to think with the investment off the pitch as well. Uh, in January, Bloomfield's certainly going to be going to be backed, and uh, the, the signs are that he he knows what he's doing. Colchester League Two champions, 23-24. Wow, says Georgia Leck. Who'd have thought it? Well, if big. Fierke Kelleher gets his big nut on every set play like he seems to at the moment, then, uh, you know, there's every chance it was him that won the, the, the first contact before Hopper headed it in. Um, Swindon nil, Doncaster 2. I mean, I'm seeing no complaints from uh, a set of Swindon fans who saw a very poor performance, uh, a, a group of players who are either not quite at the level or struggling to get up to speed at the level uh, or something like that. I didn't see a lot of blame laid at the door of Jody Morris, which is refreshing to see given that he's only been there for a week or so and things do take time generally, uh, but certainly a disappointing result. Uh, the opposite for Donny George, who, I mean, they do... Doncaster as a team have really taken the mick out of their fans quite a lot in the last 18 months with like some genuinely inept performances, uh, both in League One relegation and quite a few this season as well in League 2 but every now and again they do chuck in a little sweet one um, and that was definitely this I, th- I thought when they signed Lee Molyneux having been pretty impressed by him with Hartlepool last season that he was going to do a bit more things like this by which I mean two sweet left-footed strikes and winning games for them but that's basically the first time it's happened and maybe it could be the start of a run for him well yeah I mean it was the first time that he um he scored, wasn't it? I think for um, yes. uh, for Donny, and, and then he scored twice in in two minutes. Two brilliant strikes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Doncaster are one of those sides, in my view, who I just can't really pick them or how what they're going to do week week on week. They're capable of a two out of ten performance. They're capable of looking very good as they were here. Interesting scenes after the game with Charlie Austin um, not taking any criticism from uh Swindon fans and confronting them after the game um it mean done done in a in a you know not in a particularly unprofessional way just understandably calling out fans who were, were you know he doesn't really need that um you know Austin came back and and did so well initially uh but you got to think there are a lot of big egos in that Swindon dressing room at the moment Jody Morris Charlie Austin being too too big figures they've looked, they've looked to bring in um, and you, you've got to think that could have a massive upside or if things start to slide can they really do they really fancy it at this stage you know does Jody Morris really need it does Charlie Austin at this stage does career really want it um, we'll see but I don't think we can judge Morris yet you know it's, it's very early days um, he hasn't had time to I'm sure to implement what he wants to do on Swindon um, but yeah fair to say it couldn't really got off, got off to a worse start got to be honest mate with apology didn't listen to any of that because after I was talking about Lee Molyneux and I'm sure I'm not the only one that did this. Start thinking about other footballers' names that are also the same names, albeit spelt differently, to football stadiums in England. Lee Molyneux. Anyone? Dean Ashton Gate. Derek Adams Park. Okay. Matt Bloomfield Road. Right. Cohen Bramall Lane. You've obviously been doing this for two days now. You're making me look like an idiot. Connor Coventry Building Society Arena. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. James Trafford. James Trafford, the theatre of clean sheets. Uh, Tranmere beat Salford 1-0. It was a lovely Ethan Bristow assist for Kieran Morris for the goal. 
Bristow then provided one of two astonishing clearances off the line in a remarkable incident in which the Sulphur player ran through, rolled it towards the goal, peeled off to celebrate, only for Bristow to recover, get back out of nowhere, boot the ball off the line, onto the post, back to a, a Salford striker who then tapped it in, except he didn't because there was, I think, Tom Davis who'd appeared from absolutely nowhere to get Tranmere the win. It's not been an easy few weeks, months for Tranmere. Uh, there's been a lot of sp- uh, a lot of sort of bad vibes around, um, but this will have uh, made them very happy indeed, I think. A couple of draws as well. Uh, Rochdale won, Northampton won. The alternative angle provided by Northampton Town of Fox's goal was very necessary because the, the main camera angle, I couldn't really understand how it had gone in, how he actually, like the technique of the shot was weird and unusual. The power of it was weird and unusual. Absolute beaut, it turns out. Uh, we've shared the alternative angle on our uh, Twitter account. And DiMaggio Wright-Phillips almost won it for them at the end, um, but sharp bit of goalkeeping. And Dale failed to win uh, once again, despite some positive aspects of the performance. Hartlepool 2, Sutton 2. Well, I mean, talk about red card changing a game. In the first 40 minutes, Sutton had 12 shots. Hartlepool had none. It was 2-0 to Sutton. But then Craig Eastman got himself sent off for a second yellow that was entirely unnecessary. Unlucky. He doesn't need to be chasing out. He slips. He doesn't need to be chasing out. I do think he slips Fine. over. I, I don't think... You know, I, I know what you mean. Um, but it feels like he... Yeah, it's just a bit unfortunate in my mind. Okay. No intent. Quality, quality goals from Hartlepool to get back in it. Dan Kemp's free kick, absolutely beautiful, right into the top corner. And then our mate from last week, Dodsey, who uh, who Neil Warnock famously said, I like that Dodsey. He'll, he'll make a good career, he will. Oh, there you go, two and two. What? That, if he's got a decent goal bonus, it's a great, great bit of uh, career making from him. Crawley 2, Crew 2. Career making. <laughs> that is a, an incredible moment of broadcasting that. <laughs> I always get at this point around 1 hour 28 mins. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Crawley 2-2 two, two, Crew uh, was a 97th minute equaliser from Ben Gladwin. Good finish as well. Well, what fun. Uh, as always, a pretty interesting and entertaining weekend of EFL football broken down by your pals George and Ali on Not The Top 20 podcast. Hey, exciting news for us this week, which you need to know about, is that we are doing a Monday pod style breakdown of the midweek slate of fixtures, but it will be available exclusively on our YouTube channel. It's going to be a video podcast that we will record after full time in the games on Wednesday night from the Stoffice with Luke, our videographer. So nice camera, proper production behind it. It's just an idea that we wanted to try out for our YouTube channel. We know that the midweek slate of fixtures is a bit of a blind spot, not just for us, but for a lot of uh, EFL content producers because the the week moves very quickly and the the week moves on very quickly. Um, But we want to make sure that we're marking what is a, a big couple of nights in the EFL with a Monday pod style breakdown. We will probably put a snippet on this pod feed, but if you want to see the whole thing, if you want the full breakdown, you are going to have to subscribe to our YouTube channel at NTT20pod to find it. So I uh, hope you're excited about that. A, uh, a big video pod dropping on YouTube first thing Thursday morning this week. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Thank you to Betfair for sponsoring this podcast. Everybody, enjoy your week. Enjoy the midweek slate and go well.